Are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African-Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and over-policing? President Biden's administration is making major decisions, and we need your voice to be heard. The proposed ban on menthol cigarettes is in its final stages of approval, and black and brown law enforcement executives have said it could have dire unintended consequences for African-Americans. The clock is ticking. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414 and ask him to stop this proposed menthol rule. The ban on menthol could lead to an illicit market and increased crime in our communities. Call President Biden and demand that he halt the ban on menthol until there's a review of the investigative findings. Let's make sure that over-policing and racial profiling come to an end. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414. Tell him to stop targeting African-Americans with a menthol ban. Time is running out. This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy. The views expressed in the following program are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect the views of Saga 960 AM or its management. Richard! Richard! Oh, are we on? Welcome to the Richard Serrett Show on Newstalk Saga 960 AM. Right. Having a little trouble hearing, I'm wearing these cheap Air Canada earbuds. <laughs> you get them free with the meal, right? And uh, they're kind of crackling. Got to replace these. Air Canada earbuds. That's what we get for all of the millions of dollars in uh, bailout money. Cheap uh, earbuds or earbuds. So uh, I'm wondering now, since we learned that our military fine military here decided that the uh, I shouldn't say the it's not the rank and file the military leaders decided the COVID-19 pandemic was an opportune time to try out a propaganda or brainwashing experiment on Canadians how much of the nonsense we're hearing from public health officials and our so-called elected representatives how much of that is an actual ongoing part of this military psyop I'll tell you why I'm thinking this. Alberta's chief medical officer of health, Dr. Hinshaw, she told told Canadians with a straight face that anyone who stays at home with any sickness, any sickness, and who hasn't been tested for COVID would be considered a COVID case. Of course, then the Alberta government said, no, that's not what she said. Well, actually, yeah, we have it on video. So she seems, Dr. Hinshaw, she seems very intent on driving up case numbers any way she can. This after we learned that Alberta has been rationing their health care for like six years. Former former Alberta Premier Rachel Notley, uh, who now incidentally wants roving bands of mobile vax volunteers pounding on doors to find out why people aren't getting the vaccine. Notley cut beds by 25% while she was in power. So you see what's happening? Drive up the cases artificially and then cut back on ICU beds and blame it on the unvaccinated. Alberta has far fewer ICU beds than Alabama. They have comparable populations. Alabama, one of the poorest states in the union. And then Hinshaw is called to testify in court when I believe it was the Canadian Constitutional uh, Freedom Foundation launched a legal action against the province, Hinshaw was supposed to uh, to be in court. 
She said she was way too busy to go to court and then promptly left for vacation. And then today, the Ontario government now recommending the use of Pfizer over Moderna for 18 to 24 year olds, males, due to uh, their findings that Moderna has a one in 5,000 risk of myocarditis for that category. What is this? Spin the wheel? Pick a vax and hope for the best? You know, it's like these creepy grifters who are ruining our lives are deliberately trying to infuriate us. Maybe this is part of the PSYOP. Or maybe these people are just really as dumb and dim as they appear to be. Our, uh, our good friend and regular contributor, Dr. Patrick Phillips, is facing disciplinary action by the increasingly out-of-control, meddlesome, and coercive College of Physicians and Surgeons. And Dr. Phillips now banned from issuing medical exemptions for masks or vaccines. He's also banned from performing, uh, I guess, COVID tests uh, and from prescribing things like ivermectin. And you'll notice that none of the vultures in the mainstream media who are reporting on this with such gleeful abandon bother to mention any evidence that any of uh, Dr. Phillips' patients have so- somehow been harmed. Dr. Phillips has more integrity and courage than most physicians in this province. And I wish him well with his disciplinary hearing. He deserves our support and our prayers. In the meantime, once we escape from this nightmare, we need, I think, as a society to seriously rethink the way public health care is administered and delivered in this province. And that might mean tearing down the College of Physicians and Surgeons, metaphorically speaking, of course, so that we can be rid of this meddlesome, coercive influence. Last week, I interviewed a very nice man from Texas, Ernesto Ramirez Sr. He lost his 16-year-old son, Ernesto Jr., last April, after he received a single dose of a COVID vaccine. Heartbreaking, heartbreaking story. But it's a story that deserves to be told and heard. So in case some of you missed it the first time around, I'm going to replay it for you again a little bit later this hour. Tony Heller, the founder of RealClimateScience.com is here. Of course, every Wednesday, we push back against climate change alarmism. Actually, I'm renaming the segment slightly. I'm now calling it Pushing Back Against the Climate Change Cult. Uh, We need to to, uh, out this cult and these people. Because they're telling us that they're going to use all of the tools they've been using to control us during COVID in order to reverse climate change. That's not a conspiracy. It's not a joke. They're telling us this. Our crime minister is telling us. So why aren't we paying attention to them? So this lunacy has spread to the pages of the once prestigious New Yorker magazine. And uh, the New Yorker recently featured a lengthy article by an eco-terrorist. He used the platform to make his case for bombing oil and natural gas pipelines. That's right. Terrorism is now being normalized in major publications. Uh, It's encouraging, though, uh, to know that while hate-filled physicians are on Facebook and Twitter calling for the unvaccinated undermensch to uh, be denied health care and paranoid hypochondriacs, you may know some, 
or demanding infants be masked and vaccinated. There are there are at least some brave people pushing back, you know, people with a moral compass, people who recognize we're being played. And at some point, a line must be drawn before we become Australia. How about that? Australia makes the uh, hermit kingdom of North Korea look like a libertarian convention in a Second Amendment safe county. Anyway, uh, the owner of a gym in the Ottawa area will be here to explain why he won't be enforcing the Vax passport at his business. Uh, More and more such businesses popping up. I see the owner of a pub in Port Hope, another in Kingston, also defying the Vax passport mandate. Good for them. Uh, And finally, our feature interview, Mad Max will be here. This will be our first chance to uh, chat post-election, and we'll discuss the future of the People's Party of Canada. So, Lou, how are you, my friend? Fantastic, Richard. Great to be with you. And, you know, you're asking how are these things possible that you have, you know, the uh, health Gestapo running amok everywhere? It's because we keep putting the same clowns in office time and time again in 2019, in 2021, you know, despite the evidence before us, the majority of Canadians east of Manitoba repeating the same mistake. Let's put the same crew in place, right, so that they can continue to sack the Treasury and destroy the economy. Brilliant. Yeah, yeah. It's like we're taking a suicide pill for crying out loud. Well, only east of Manitoba. So, you know, the question becomes, how much longer does this confederation stay together? I would say uh, not likely as long as some would think. I just saw some stats about uh, the level of oil imported into Canada, the majority going to Quebec, you know, from Saudi Arabia and those uh, other suppliers. And I'm thinking... Oh, so you don't want to allow a pipe to go across your province to feed your industrial complex. No problem. Why bother? Like, why bother? Right. Why? Why? When they can take oil from that paragon of virtue, Saudi Arabia. Yeah, that's right. So if you keep putting in the same clowns and you're wondering why you have the circus instead of a country, you know, look in the mirror. You know, look in the mirror. It's a confederacy of dunces. Lou, Only Lou, east of Manitoba. Yes, Let's yes. be clear. Okay, sir. We we, uh, we need to wish Jody a happy birthday. Wow. What is she, Jody 23? Well, I, you know what? I was trying to figure that out because, you know, it's not polite to ask. What do you mean? She's like 22, old. isn't she? Well, that's what I'm thinking. 20, oh, he's actually telling 23. He's 23. Now the world knows. Oh, no, she's trying to. Or it could be 32. I don't know. She was flashing those so quickly. You're not 32, are you? Wow. 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 That was right. Very well. Happy birthday, Jody. I, I was trying to figure it out in my head how old she might be. And I was saying, OK, so like six months ago when we, we launched this program, I figured, OK, she's 25. But people, you know, they, they can't see her on Zoom. Now her hair is completely white. Oh, six months after this clown show. And she's like her hair is completely white. Is she in the like the relaunch of the Golden Girls now? Is that what you're trying to tell me? (laughs) Yeah, that's it. The Golden Girls. Wonderful show. Yeah. Always a laugh. 
Are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African-Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and over-policing? President Biden's administration is making major decisions, and we need your voice to be heard. The proposed ban on menthol cigarettes is in its final stages of approval, and black and brown law enforcement executives have said it could have dire unintended consequences for African-Americans. The clock is ticking. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414 and ask him to stop this proposed menthol rule. The ban on menthol could lead to an illicit market and increased crime in our communities. Call President Biden and demand that he halt the ban on menthol until there's a review of the investigative findings. Let's make sure that over-policing and racial profiling come to an end. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414. Tell him to stop targeting African-Americans with a menthol ban. Time is running out. This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy. As are you, sir. Okay, so we got a minute to the commitment to traffic on the fives. Should we take a couple of runs? At happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Joe T. Happy birthday to you. My auto tune wasn't working. Sorry about that. <laughs> what do you share? <laughs> Sharing is caring. <laughs> Anyway, where's the cake? That's all I got to ask. Exactly. Yeah, where is the cake, Jake? Oh, in her tummy. In oh, her tummy. Okay. All right. All right. I guess I have to live with that. Someday we'll be together again. Hey, Diana Ross and the Supremes, right? That's right. That's right. There you go. All right. It's all right. We'll talk in an, in an hour, buddy. Can't wait. Happy capitalism. Happy birthday, Jody. Happy birthday, Jody. When we come back, Ernesto Ramirez Sr., will uh, recount how he lost his son to a COVID vaccine. That story in three minutes. We're back as the Richard Serrett Show continues on News Talk Saga 960 AM. Ernesto Ramirez Sr. from Texas lost his son, Ernesto Jr., back in uh, April of this year, about five or six days after receiving his first COVID vaccine shot. Very uh, tragic story, and uh, he joins us now. Mr. Ramirez, are you there? Yes, sir, I am. Thank you for joining me. I know this must be incredibly difficult. Um, how are you coping these days, by the way? Just day by day. I mean, that's all I can do. I mean, it's hard. I mean, it's, we're just uh, the two of us, and as you can tell, I'm home alone. You know, I come home to an empty house. Yes, uh, I'm, I'm just looking at a picture. I see a, a picture behind you of, of Ernesto Jr. What a beautiful boy, uh, 16. Can you tell me about him? Uh, he was a wonderful kid. I mean, he never gave me any problems. Uh, the day he was born, he was handed to me and they told me, here, he's yours, you take care of him. And I took that on with pride. I mean, because I was my baby boy. So, I mean, being a father, I've never had a father, so I said, he is not going to know what it's like to not have a father's love. So, I mean, I did diapers, feedings, bangs, uh, schools, everything. I did everything for him. I would leave work for his little shows at school, whatever they had going on. Um, I was there. It was just always me and him. And I would always tell him, it's me and you against the world. 
So, uh, I mean, from seven years old, he, uh, you know, I bought a couple of baseball gloves and, you know, play catch with my son. And he told me, Dad, I want to play baseball. So I signed him up for Little League. And uh, since seven years old, all the way to high school, he played baseball. I coached him. I mean, uh, every year, I mean, we would, it was just something our father said we, we had in bond right there. Uh, we loved the sport. We loved the game. And, uh, excuse me. And uh, when in high school, he continued playing baseball. And he had told me, I told him, pushing for college. I said, you need to go to college. You need a good education. He goes, Dad, uh, I want to join the Air Force. I said, of course. I mean, I'm always here to back you up. I'm here, you know. It was, like I said, we're like best friends. You know, we're never apart. We're always together. T- tell me about the decision, how it was made for him to to get vaccinated. Well, see, when this all hit, I mean, we, we normally by ourselves, <clears throat> teenage kids and this and that. So I said, okay, you know, I didn't, like I said, we're never apart. I was scared if he got COVID, he got to, ended up in the hospital. I want to be by his side. And, you know, they weren't going to prevent me from being by his side, but I know, you know, they wouldn't allow me in. So I said, okay, they, the government told me it's safe. You know, nothing wrong. So I went on the 19th, took him to get the vaccine. Then uh, on the 24th, my neighbor, she's a good, good Christian woman. Her son is my son's best friend. She goes, uh, Mr. Can I take the boys out to eat and go play basketball? I said, sure, ma'am, of course. Because her, her, her husband my best friend. They've always been there for me and my son. So I said, yes, ma'am, go ahead on. And so my son took him. She, she came to pick him up. You know, I gave him some spending money. I gave him a hug. And I told him, be careful. And then she called me. My buddy called me, panicked, told me something was wrong with Junior. That was just a few days later. So I rushed over there, chased the ambulance to the hospital. They said he, there was nothing they could do, that he had passed. And uh, they were doing, I, I seen they were trying to revive him over there at the park. I chased the ambulance to the hospital. They were giving them injections, doing everything they could. They couldn't revive him at all. And then, like I said, it was, to me, it felt like nothing. They just said, well, your son's dead. I mean, there was no heart, no feeling, did it? Obviously, you were in shock. Ernesto, um, I'm going to take a quick time out. Um, just uh, hang in there if you could, and we'll come back, and uh, I'd like to discuss further. Would that be okay? Yes, sir. Okay, thank you so much. Ernest, Ernesto Ramirez Sr. Uh, stays with us as we continue to talk about his uh, son, Ernesto Jr., who passed April 25th after receiving a Pfizer vaccine. Back with more of the Richard Serrett Show in three minutes. Stay with us. Let's get back at it on Newstalk Saga 960 AM. It's the Richard Serrett Show. Uh, Ernesto Ramirez of Texas, uh, who lost his son, Ernesto Jr., uh, April 25th of this year after receiving uh, the Pfizer vaccine. Um, Mr. Ramirez, the... um, the, uh, the the autopsy report. What, what did it show? What what was the determination? Well, they showed everything was good. Everything was fine. 
He had a scrape on his elbow, knee, on his head. The only bad problem they found was in a large heart. They said his heart was twice the normal size. Twice the normal size? Yes, sir. The receiving the vaccine, was he was he in good health? Yes, sir. Like, like I said, he would, I'll take him for a checkup every year because we play baseball. He was dedicated to playing baseball. And uh, he was healthy. He ate right. He was always eating. You know, Dad, I can't eat this or I can't eat that because he wanted to eat healthy. I mean, we did eat ribs and steaks once in a while, but he didn't eat a lot of burgers or Cokes or none of that stuff. You know, he tried to keep his intake at a decent rate. Right. So I've never had no issues. When when Ernesto Jr. died, was that death registered with the vaccine adverse reporting system? No, sir. I, didn't, I never knew anything about that. I'm just starting to see more and more now that time passed. I'm starting to see more about it now. Did did the doctors say that they believed the vaccine was responsible or did they try and deny that? They just like here, like I said, they just mentioned, you know, your son's passed like it was nothing. And OK, you know, like, like going on, take off, you know, have, have you try to pick up your pieces like no heart, no concern. So, yeah, they didn't mention anything like that. Uh, I tried to get the autopsy report. It took me three months. Uh, when it was done, they said they sent it to a judge, and I called the judge, and he said he hasn't received it. So for three months, I'll ping-pong him back and forth. Till I mentioned to both of them, I said, my attorney wants to copy that autopsy report. I said, if you want, I'll let him call you directly. And magically, the following day, the uh, judge said, oh, we have your paperwork here after three months. Since that time, you've been trying to raise awareness, get some answers for yourself, seek some justice. Um, you've been trying to raise money on, you were trying to re- raise money on GoFundMe. What happened? Well, it started out okay for a couple of weeks. And then all, all of a sudden I get an email saying, uh, it doesn't stand up to, I mean, I wasn't following the regulations because I uh, mentioned the Pfizer vaccine and the death of my son. And I thought GoFundMe was something like that, you know, to help, you know, or, you know, raise money for what I was, thought was I was doing something correct or right. So they shut me down right then and there. And uh, like I said, you know, for some reason something happened. I figured people are starting to trying to shut me up. I said, no, I mean, I went through a real bad depression when he passed and I figured I can either just ball up and just, you know, try to pick up the pieces. I said, this was my boy. We were always together. I fought for him. And uh, I said, well, you know, I got to make sure the world knows what happened. You know, I mean, I'm not just going to keep quiet. So that's why I started the, uh, that while I was, didn't start it. Someone else told me at Life Funders, they asked me if they could start an, uh, another uh, fundraiser for me because after I've been speaking here in Texas, telling my son's story, trying to let people know what happened to me. Hopefully it doesn't happen to somebody else, you know, because these are kids, these are our babies. You know, if you love your child as much as I did, you don't want that to happen to So they started raising more money. Like I said, little by little, everything comes into fold. So, I mean, 
I'm just, you know, I, like I said, I'm not going to stay quiet. I mean, if I can save one child, two child, whatever, it's worth the fight. It's just something I feel I have to do. Mr. Ramirez, uh, I want to thank you for your time, and I, I, um, my heart breaks for you. Uh, I pray God gives you uh, peace. Yes, sir. Thank you. Thank you so much. God bless you. Thank you, sir. Are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African-Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and over-policing? President Biden's administration is making major decisions, and we need your voice to be heard. The proposed ban on menthol cigarettes is in its final stages of approval, and black and brown law enforcement executives have said it could have dire unintended consequences for African-Americans. The clock is ticking. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414 and ask him to stop this proposed menthol rule. The ban on menthol could lead to an illicit market and increased crime in our communities. Call President Biden and demand that he halt the ban on menthol until there's a review of the investigative findings. Let's make sure that over-policing and racial profiling come to an end. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414. Tell him to stop targeting African-Americans with a menthol ban. Time is running out. This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy. Ernesto Ramirez Sr. Can you believe that? Crowdfunding, trying to crowdfund and GoFundMe kicked him off. Unbelievable. All right. Uh, coming up, we're going to do a, um, a double segment with Tony Heller, founder of RealClimateScience.com. He, of course, joins us every Wednesday as we push back against climate change alarmism, or as I'm now calling it, pushing back against the climate change cult. Uh, we'll talk about a new study actually revealing that the the uh, the rate of global warming is slowing down. We'll talk about what's happening with the Great Barrier Reef and the Arctic Ocean and also New Yorker magazine giving a platform to an eco terrorist who's making a case for bombing oil and natural gas pipelines. That's all coming up in three minutes. Stay with us. You're listening to The Richard Serrett Show on Newstalk Saga, 960 AM. Hey, welcome back. Before we get Tony Heller in here, let me just uh, say that, uh, you know, I can't stop talking about the wonderful people and the wonderful products at North American Herb and Spice. I've been telling you and everyone I know about how to really boost up your immune support using P73 wild oregano. We use it every day. The entire family, we line up. Three, four drops under the uh, under the tongue, uh, whether you prefer the drops, which I like, or the gel caps, which are also great powder, even uh, inhalants. North American Herb and Spice has a whole line of wild oregano supplements to support a healthy immune response. P73 wild oregano uh, is available at fine health food stores right across the GTA or in the off chance you can't find it. You can always order online at oregano.com. And while you're on the website, be sure to sign up for the North American Herb and Spice newsletter and a great deal. You get 5% off when you order online. P73 Wild Oregano for a healthy immune system from North American Herb and Spice. And the website, once again, oregano.com, oregano.com, O-R-E-G-A-N-O-L, O-R-E-G-A-N-O-L. One more time, O-R-E-G-A-N-O-L, oregano. 
com. All right. Well, this is kind of disturbing in the uh, in the name of climate activism. The New Yorker has provided a platform for a far left environmental extremist on its weekly podcast show. Uh, Andreas Melm is the author of a, a horrible book called How to Blow Up a Pipeline. He's an associate senior lecturer of human ecology at Lund University, and he was invited last week on the New York New Yorker Radio Hour, which is their podcast, where this professor made impassioned calls for eco-terrorism. And uh, he was pontificating on how to save the planet from the fossil fuel industry. And uh, the New Yorker guest implored the environmental movement to embrace violence. Really? This is where we're heading? This is why I call it the climate change cult. Tony Heller is uh, with us once again, the founder of realclimatescience.com. Tony, did you hear about this? What do you think? I mean, this is an absolute outrage. Well, yeah, it's pretty interesting that on the 20th anniversary of 9-11, the New Yorker magazine would be calling for terrorism. (laughs) Um, But, you know, I mean, I, what the, on Biden's first day in office, I mean, he blew up a few pipelines. Um, Metaphorically speaking. Right. <laughs> so he just, they're, they're just following in Biden's footsteps. You know, the thing about this is, you know, when winter comes around and people are literally depending for their day-to-day survival on being able to obtain fuels to heat their houses and keep from freezing to death, um, these these people are, you know, in 9-11, several thousand people died, but the acts like this could potentially kill hundreds of thousands or millions of people um, if, if we're unable to get fuel to people from natural gas pipelines, like what happened in Texas last winter in February when everything froze up. Um, you know, it, it could be devastating. The loss in human life could be horrific. Um, and, and also, we depend on these pipelines to get fuel to uh, trucks, which deliver the food. So there's, there's quite a range of disasters which could occur as, as a result of them doing this. Right. Never mind that you know, the potential loss of, of life if some idiot actually takes Andreas Melm to heart and tries to blow up a pipeline. I mean, this could be catastrophic. Yeah, well, just not have, not having enough energy would definitely be catastrophic, particularly during the winter. I mean, in the summer, you know, people can get by for a few days without power, but and heat. But during the winter, you know, people die quickly if they can't get enough energy. Right. Um, I want to start this conversation right now, and we'll break in a couple of minutes, and we'll continue to talk about it. But um, I wanted to talk about the Great Barrier Reef. There's something happening there you wanted to talk about because, you know, the coral reefs are often seen as kind of a sign or a canary in the coal mine, I guess, of a healthy planet or a dying planet. And for years, we've been told we've been told our coral reefs are dying, and it's all because of climate change. Uh, what, what's going on with the Great Barrier Reef? Well, the the official government data from the Great Barrier Reef shows that reef levels there are the highest they've been since they started keeping records in 1985. Um, 
there was, there was a lot of uh, coral loss prior to about five or six years ago, but it's all grown back. They've had a spectacular regrowth, and there's more coral there now than there was um, 35 years ago when they started keeping records. And, of course, the press isn't going to talk about this, right? They've been pushing this global warming is going to you know, destroy all the coral reefs story, and now they're not going to admit they're wrong. And, and there, there was a story in the Sydney Morning Herald um, a few months ago saying that two degrees of warming would destroy 99% of the world's corals. It's just, it just complete nonsense. Uh, corals evolved. They've been around for 540 million years. And when they evolved during the Cambrian area 540 million years ago, temp- Earth's temperature was like 10 to 15 degrees Celsius warmer than it is now. But now they're claiming now they're claiming that two degrees warming would wipe them out. Corals like warm water, <laughs> and that's why they live in the tropics. Tony, we've got to take. Um, we'll uh, pick this up on the other side. Tony Heller, RealClimateScience.com. Back with more in a moment. Don't go away. Back to the conversation on the Richard Serrett Show, News Talk, Saga, nine sixty a.m. Tony Heller stays with us from realclimatescience.com as we push back against the climate change cult. We were talking about the Great Barrier Reef, uh, which is rebounding. The other uh, irony, or not irony, but uh, um, faulty bit of logic with the uh, the global warming cult is they keep complaining about rising ocean levels. Uh, you know, nothing could be worse for a, uh, a coral reef than uh, lowering ocean levels, right? Well, sea levels varied about 400 feet over the last 20,000 years. And when sea level goes up, the coral reefs grow upwards. And when sea level goes down, they do the opposite. So it doesn't really make much difference to the reefs, to the corals. And we can, like there's a coral reef in West Texas, um, which is now several thousand feet above sea level, and it's thousands of feet thick in the Guadalupe Mountains. So the, the corals just adjust to whatever the sea level is. So, um, you know, it's interesting. In 1989, you know, the United Nations said that the Maldives would all be gone within 30 years. And they, there's a new study out that the Maldives have grown over the last 30 years. They're like 6% larger now than they were 30 years ago. So there's just sort of a basic and misunderstanding of natural processes driving all of this alarmism. Do you have an update on Arctic ice, Tony? Yeah, that, that's really interesting. You've been hearing all these stories about a record. It was the hottest summer on record, right? And and all the ice is melting. Well, there's actually been a thirty percent increase in ice over the last over the last year. The Arctic minimum this year was extended was about thirty, almost thirty percent higher than last year. And and really interesting thing, in 1971, 50 years ago, National Geographic published a map of Arctic sea ice. And if you look at the current maps, like from the Danish Meteorological Institute, they're almost identical. The extent of ice in the Arctic Ocean now is almost exactly the same as it was 50 years ago. So once again, it's all just this crazy misinformation going on. When Stonehenge was built, there probably wasn't any ice in the Arctic at all. The Arctic was much warmer. There's been studies done 
that the northern coast, the Siberian coast of Russia was two to seven degrees Celsius warmer 4,000 years ago than it is now. And in Canada, there's fossilized trees, which grew all the way, which were growing all the way up to the Arctic Ocean um, 4,000 years ago. And now the tree line is 100 kilometers further south. So it was much warmer 4,000 years ago, and there wasn't any ice in the Arctic. So it's, you know, it's just massive misinformation driving all of this hysteria. I want to ask you about a, uh, a team of researchers say they found a new mechanism that can impact the rate of human induced global warming. And uh, this was a study published in the journal Nature Climate Change. Uh, and what they're saying now is uh, that global warming is found to be slowing down in this new study. What do they? You know? Yeah, I, I, I read the study. It looks, it looks to me like they made a bunch of nonsense, nonsensical assumptions about what was going on in order to explain why global warming, which they've been screaming about, isn't actually occurring. <laughs> uh, I mean, the problem is that we have scientists who are tampering with the data, making it look like the Earth is warming up when. Really, if there's any warming going on at all, it's very it's very minimal. Um, and so you've got this paper was just sort of a ridiculous attempt, I think, to explain what's not happening based on um, some of the standard assumptions behind the global warming nonsense to begin with. So I wasn't very impressed with that paper. Right. Let me just uh, crib here from the article. Again, this was published in the journal Nature Climate Change. It says, as the planet warms, and this is the new mechanism they, they claim they've found, as the planet warms, ocean's heat uptake is increased, which has been found to also influence the salt levels in the water. Global warming results in salinity levels in the ocean being increased in salty regions, which causes denser seawater and an increase in ocean heat uptake. An increase in ocean heat uptake reduces the temperature of surfaces and influences the rate of global warming. Does any of that make sense? No. <laughs> I mean, sort of the argument they were making is, I think, is that global warming makes it rain more. So you washes more salt into the ocean and increases the salinity levels of the ocean, which increases the heat capacity of the oceans, um, which is just pretty... There's not not a lot of science going on there. Uh, my my good friend, Dr. Bill Gray from Colorado State University, was he was the inventor of hurricane forecasting, um, and he's like the leading tropical meteorologist in the world. Yeah, I spent a lot of time with him while he was alive, and he was explaining to me about how ocean salinity works. Um, and there's. there's the things that control the amount of salinity in different parts of the ocean are much more complicated than that and, and really have nothing to do with what this article was talking about. So you can get research money for just spewing complete nonsense in academia if you just make it sound like you know what you're talking about. But I would say that these people don't. They keep moving the goalposts. You mentioned the Maldives uh, and how they were supposed to be gone by 1999 and the Arctic Ocean was supposed to be ice free by what what year was it? 2010 or something like that. And and when these things don't happen, they keep moving the goalposts. How long is it going to be 
before people finally realize that none of this stuff is happening and it's not going to happen. I mean, is there a, do you, can you see like, is it a timeline, like maybe five years from now, 10 years from now, we will finally wake up? No, I don't see that happening. I mean, this has been going on forever. And and when, when Al Gore, you know, got accepted his Nobel prize in 2007, he said the Arctic would be ice free by 2014. It didn't happen. But what happens is people get their information from watching cable news and Jimmy Fallon, and they just keep spewing this propaganda out to him. Most people don't remember what was said last year. Um, and, but they just ramp it up. They make it more and more scary. You know, we're all going to die. Your children won't have a future. They've got Greta Thunberg running around talking about how her her future was stolen. Um, and this is what people see, and they don't. Very few people actually remember what was said in the past. So I, I spent a lot of time reminding people of all the different iterations of this. In 2006, Al Gore said we had 10 years left to save the planet. And, and now Joe Biden says we have 10 years left to save the planet. In 1989, the United Nations said we had 10 years to save the planet from global warming. So they, they repeat this over and over again. And we really, we're really not making any progress because people get their information from these propaganda sources like cable news, um, NPR, National Public Radio here in the United States, uh, CBC in Canada. And they... Um, and most people don't have long enough memories to realize that they've heard this all before and that they were wrong. And without any real being allowed to give any real analysis about it, explaining how they've gotten this wrong over and over again, I don't think most people are ever going to realize it. All right. Well, it's part of a religion. It's it like a religion, right? No matter how, how, how many times things aren't the way they claim they are people still want need to believe it they want to believe in something and they cling to this sort of nonsense it is it's a cult all right let's uh, make sure everyone visits realclimatescience.com that's your antidote to this nonsense realclimatescience.com tony thank you as always we'll speak again next week yeah thanks richard all right hour two awaits when we come back Uh, We'll have, of course, Lou with our German idiom of the day, news not in the news. We'll uh, visit with a previous conversation with a a gym owner up in Ottawa who is defying the Vax passport mandate. And, of course, the Honorable Maxime Bernier. Mad Max will be here as uh, we reflect on the election and the future of the People's Party of Canada. Back with more in two minutes. Stay with us. The views expressed in the following program are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect the views of Saga 960 AM or its management. Hey, Richard! Hello, yes. Can I help you? Richard! The Richard Serrett Show continues on News Talk Saga 960 AM. Hey, welcome to Hour 2. I see the list of businesses that are uh, vowing to uh, defy the Vax Passport mandate is growing. A couple of pubs recently I took notice, one in Port Hope, one in Kingston. I know there are others, a bunch of restaurants now in Woodbridge saying we will not enforce the Vax Passport. Uh, And uh, Joshua Fry 
is the owner of OCR Academy. That's a, a gym up in uh, the Ottawa area. And we're going to revisit that conversation uh, from last week. Uh, Joshua Fry wants no part of a VAX passport system. No way, no how, and he's not enforcing it. So we'll speak with uh, Joshua. And uh, Mad Max will be here. This will be our first chance to chat since the uh, election. And we'll talk about the future of the uh, the People's Party of Canada. What else? And, and time permitting, I'd, I'd like I'd like to get his take on uh, this revelation that our military leaders were engaged in some kind of psyop. Are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African-Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and over-policing? President Biden's administration is making major decisions and we need your voice to be heard. The proposed ban on menthol cigarettes is in its final stages of approval and black and brown law enforcement executives have said it could have dire unintended consequences for African-Americans. The clock is ticking. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414 and ask him to stop this proposed menthol rule. The ban on menthol could lead to an illicit market and increased crime in our communities. Call President Biden and demand that he halt the ban on menthol until there's a review of the investigative findings. Let's make sure that over-policing and racial profiling come to an end. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414. Tell him to stop targeting African-Americans with a menthol ban. Time is running out. This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy. Propaganda operation uh, on Canadians during the, uh, the pandemic and whether or not that might still be ongoing. I think there's some evidence that suggests that is in fact the case. News, not in the news. news. All right, Lou, so no cake for Jody, who's celebrating her birthday today. Well, how did that happen? Well, I'm sure they're enjoying the cake in studio, but- Oh, oh, let's, no, no. Jacob's giving us the stiff. (laughs) There was no, there's no cake, Jacob. You would swear in a stack of, I was going to say a stack of Bibles, but a, a, a holy book of your choice. There's <laughs> a cake. Okay. All right. He's throwing Well, there's up. always tomorrow, you know. That's true. We could have a belated happy birthday cake. Yeah, we could all get a cake and have a piece and, you know, in our various locations. All right. Are you ready for the German idiom of the day? Bring it on, baby. All right, Jacob, if you please. Idiom of the day is Das ist ein Streit um des Kaisers Bart. Das ist ein Streit um des Kaisers Bart. Das ist ein Streit um des Kaisers Bart. Well, you know, again, I I think that we're missing the switch by not having you on YouTube with your facial expressions and gesticulations and trying to spit those out. The only utterance that I caught was Kaiser. Yes. So tell us what it means. All right. Well, Kaiser, that would be like Caesar, right? Or the emperor. So you're right. You did recognize that word. So das ist ein Streit um des Kaisers Bart means that is an argument over the emperor's beard. That is an argument over the emperor's beard. So what do you think that means? That's the literal translation. What's the English meaning? Uh, You know what? Uh, Something about a Kaiser's beard. I, I once heard a joke about the, you know, the beard of 
the Kaiser, but it's not for family consumption. <laughs> None of your jokes are for family consumption. Hey, it doesn't involve Richard Gere, okay? Okay, well, that's an improvement. All right. So that is an argument over the emperor's beard. It means to get lost in the details, to get lost in the details. Well, you know, that joke I was going to tell you about, you know, you would have gotten lost in those details, too. Thank thank the Lord. (laughs) I'm not repeating that. Uh, That that will not uh, be a joke that I would find in Dad's Jokes, the complete collection. No, but that's coming up every Monday from now on, right? Yes, we'll do a uh, World's Greatest Dad Jokes every Monday. So uh, this is not a a big surprise, I suppose, but uh, I read this in the Financial Post today, and they're saying one in four Canadians say the pandemic has knocked their retirement plans off course. Canadians are less prepared for retirement because of COVID-19. Yeah, no kidding. I mean, even before COVID, I would venture to say that probably what, maybe what would you say? Three three out of four uh, Canadians are not prepared for their retirement? Yeah, I would say, well, let's just walk through the numbers. In my experience, only 20% of the population actually has investable capital. So what I mean by that is they're filling up their RRSP every year. They're filling up their tax-free savings account every year. They're actually consuming less than they make, right? So they make more, they save more, they accumulate more. That's 20%. 53% of Canadians, uh, excuse me, were $200 away from insolvency before the pandemic. Okay, so we got 20% that had money, uh, 53% that had virtually no savings. The other uh, 27%, Richard, I would attribute to being part of the uh, pyramid of extortion. Right, right. Right, so they've got government pensions indexed, yada, yada, yada. What do they have to worry about? They're going to tax you and me to, you know, kingdom come to support them, right? So that 53 percent that are two hundred dollars away from insolvency. uh, I mean, what what is this? Does this include uh, students? Does this include only like people that are of working, you know, in their. This is a survey conducted annually by MNP, the accounting and consultancy firm. Right. So MNP every year comes out and tells us that this is a survey that they conduct to try and see what kind of liquidity issues are out there. And of course, they act as a trustee in bankruptcy. So they would be very on top of the game. Most students are not the ones uh, looking or on the threshold of bankruptcy. It is uh, more mature people that have gotten into a deep consumption rut, rut and haven't been able to find their way out of it. And so would it be fair to say that then the vast, let's say the majority of Canadians, their retirement plan is basically hoping for an inheritance? Well, it could be that or nothing, you know, working till you drop. Right. I mean, I saw a report sent to me by my former dean in the School of Business at Sheridan. And, you know, it was published in 2013. And it was frightening, the number of Americans. This was on PBS. I can send you a copy if you, you know, you're looking for a horror show to watch on Friday night or something. You know, um, most of these people uh, 
never got ahead of their spending. Kids' education, oh, a divorce here or there, that'll wipe you out pretty quick, right? So, you know, I look at it and uh, I say, you got to be diligent. And, you know, as I've said many, many times over the last 30 years, who you marry is the most important economic decision you'll ever make. So what is their plan? They're going to work till they drop. All right. I want you to explain how blind bidding works and what it is actually, because uh, a lot of real estate people are, are very anxious about whether the liberals, their minority government liberals, are going to uh, scrap something called blind bidding, which apparently is, uh, they claim, an attempt to you know lower house prices for first-time home buyers. What is blind bidding and how would scrapping it lower the price of a home? Well, it's kind of like a uh, tender for a contract. So the government of Canada, the government of Toronto, the government of Ontario puts out a tender for certain kinds of work and everybody submits their bid blind. They can't see what the other guy is bidding. That's bid rigging, right? So everybody submits what they think they're going to be able to do the work for. And usually in that model, it's the lowest bid that gets the contract, theoretically, of course. And in the housing market, it's like everybody submits their bid and the top bid uh, gets the ticket. Okay. Nobody, you can't rebid. It's not like an auction. Like an auction is, you know, who'll give me, you know, who'll give me a a million five? Who'll give me a, a million six, right? You just keep bidding up the price. This is just like submit, submit your best offer and then you either get it or you don't. Okay. And they want to get rid of that. So if I'm a home buyer, I mean, if they scrap blind bidding, how would, how does that affect the sale of the house and the home? Well, I guess the home seller. Well, the seller gets to see all of them and decide which one they'll take. Right. The bidder submits their bid and that's it. That's their last bid on the project. Right. If end of story, if they scrap the blind bidding, that's what happens. Well, it'll go to auction. Right. You know, your your realtor will come back and say, listen, somebody bid one point five. Do you want to beat it? And then you can decide. But that'll raise the price as well. Right. Yeah, I would think. So how yeah, did, how did so, blind bidding lower the price of the house? I don't understand. Smoke and mirrors, Richard. This is the people recommending these amendments to uh, the housing market, blind bidding being in this case that we're discussing. OK, this is being uh, recommended by people that are in utter failure in the provision of affordable housing to anyone from the lowest quintile to the top quintile, okay? Uh, Toronto Community Housing, the biggest slumlord in North America. They can't even repair the stock of uh, housing that they have. So, you know, why would why would they have any input into the housing market? I would reject them as unfit. Precisely, yeah. All right. Uh, one final little story here I thought you might be amused by. So vaccinations, of course, as, as we're discovering, very controversial subject for many people, especially when it comes to injections. So what if you could replace your next shot with a salad instead? Researchers at the University of California, Riverside, are working on a way to grow edible plants that carry the same medication as 
an mRNA vaccine. The COVID-19 vaccine, of course, uh, one of many of the inoculations which use messenger RNA technology to defeat viruses. Uh, they, but imagine if you could eat a, a plant-based mRNA vaccine which could survive at room temperature. That's what they're working on, Lou. It's cute, but it's just another delivery system for the same thing, right? One's a needle, the other one's a salad with croutons. Right. I mean, it, for, for many people, the controversial aspect is not the fact that it's being injected. It's the ingredients. Right. And that's included in the plant. I'm going to let you go because I can see that Brandon is chomping at the bit to get the traffic out there. And as you know, we're committed to traffic on the fives. We are committed to traffic on the fives. All right. We'll need a gym owner in Ottawa who's standing up against the Vax Passport mandate. That story in two minutes. Back to the conversation on the Richard Serrett Show. News Talk, Saga, 960 AM. Welcome back. Well, starting Wednesday of next week, vaccine passports will become part of a daily routine for most Ontarians. But uh, one small business owner says he's against the new rules and he'll be boycotting the vaccine passports. Joshua Fry is the owner of OCR Academy Gym in uh, Ottawa, and uh, he joins us now. Hey, Josh, how are you? Good and you, sir. Very well. Tell me a little bit about uh, OCR Academy Gym. How long have you been in business? Uh, Whereabouts in the city of Ottawa are you? Uh, well, first, thanks for having me. I appreciate the opportunity. The uh, where OCR Academy is located is we're in Ottawa, Nepean. We're right off the the highway, so we are pretty central. So we deal with the entire city, more or less. Uh, OCR Academy is basically if uh, CrossFit met Spartan Race, if they had a baby, that's what this gym would be. Um, we've essentially brought recess back, and we tried to put the fun back in functional fitness. Our target audience has been everybody, but we really catered to the 7 to 12-year-olds. And people constantly ask me, when do you think OCR Academy is going to hit that plateau? And I say, as long as they keep making 7 to 12-year-olds, we're going to be in business. Um, I've been in business for six years now. And let me tell you, I've had to overcome some serious obstacles in the last six years. And um we're still here and we're actually planning on expanding. So I'm really happy about this opportunity. Okay. So strategically, uh, just curious, you know, why you would maybe announce publicly that you're not going to support the, uh, the vaccine passport. Why not just do it quietly uh, and avoid maybe drawing attention? Oh, uh, I believe that si- uh, silence can be deadly. Um, uh, listen, I'm, totally for the vaccine i'm pro vaccine i'm pro choice i'm pro informed consent this is not what this is about this is about making fitness essential for only some people for the privileged let's say for instance um but fitness doesn't discriminate it doesn't alienate it doesn't segregate and neither do canadians for that matter but it seems like we're doing that and that kind of caused me to stand up and i just wanted to uh let my uh my members know that this is what i was planning on doing and then it just went from there um and then now i've i've been inundated with support uh i tried to avoid going on reddit uh but i uh, i've been inundated with yeah reddit's not not a not a fun place um so it that wasn't a reflection at all of the response that I've been getting from people. And I've been getting uh, responses from people who are double vaccinated, 
and they're for this decision. And 80% of them have been like that. Um, CTV did a news uh, story on me. The story kind of reflected maybe the opposite of what I've personally been hearing. Um, but no, my phone is just ringing off the hook with people who are just absolutely for this. Now, as you say, your your uh, target audience is, or your customer, your uh, is seven to twelve. Obviously, be impacted by uh, vaccine mandates. Uh, but I'm guessing this this is more your your policy to defy the passport is directed to the parents, obviously, who are bringing these children. Mm-hmm. I, well, exactly. And what I don't understand is why people think that it's the unvaccinated's job to protect the vaccinated. I thought that was the vaccine's job. So why is it that we're prohibiting people from doing that and putting these parents, and I get it from the parents. The parents are talking to me and it's dividing households. One is pro, other one is not uh, for the vaccine. But then for the passport, uh, it's the same thing. Like I'm hearing parents tell me like, I couldn't even get my son's blood work. And now I'm expected to pass on this type of information to a complete stranger, to a 16 year old girl who's working the front desk and she's being held with that kind of responsibility. And also what we have to ask that for everybody, expose that to everybody else, but then also not collect the data. So if we're not supposed to collect the data and we're not supposed to store it, why are we asking for it? Right. In the first place. In terms of the, the logic of the, the passport, I, I, I don't understand it either. I wish someone could explain it to me why if we now know that if you have uh, been uh, doubly vaccinated, you can still spread the virus, you can still get infected. So the, the, the logic for segregating the vaccinated from the unvaccinated seems to completely evaporate. Uh, however, it is what it is, I guess, at this point. Now, if the um, if public health officials come a knocking and, uh, you know, um, demand, you know, to see some, I don't know, documentation that you are in fact, what are you going to do? Well, first off, I'm a membership based facility. I go, uh, I'm appointment based and for certain individuals, I charge small rate. Others I charge bigger rates. So if bylaw wants to come into my facility and they have to book an appointment and I charge a lot of money for appointments. Gotcha. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? So, uh, but if they come in with a warrant, I also understand that uh, during the reopening act, uh, they can investigate. uh, They can bypass that. Even if I have a sign on the front door that says, do not trespass. That means that's current. That's present. Trespassing means in the future or in the past. So those types of words, they've walked right by. I've been in contact with a couple of gym owners who stayed open during the lockdown. Um, without a single case of COVID during that time, I might add, but they, uh, they stayed open and they've said that majority of their fines have been removed, have gone. So if they want to come in here and write me these fines, I'm well aware of the rights. I'm well aware of the Ontario act. I'm well aware of the genetic testing act and how this violates that. And so if I'm called before a judge, before the 18 months, because let's not forget, if it, this stays in limbo for 18 months and it's not seen by a judge, then it goes away. And I'm hearing from some judges, actually, that they're like, well, if I have to see a hundred gyms that are dealing with this type of violation, that means that those are a hundred other 
murders, rapes, break and entering, those can all be pushed over. And judges like, I don't want to see this. I want to focus on that. So if they want to give me the fines, they're on the fines. All right. Josh, I appreciate your time. Thank you, and uh, best of luck with this. Thank you. Joshua Fry is the owner of OCR Academy in uh, the gym in Ottawa. All right, when we come back, the Honorable Maxime Bernier, Mad Max, leader of the People's Party of Canada. Stay with us. The Bull Session continues on The Richard Serrett Show. News Talk, Saga, 960 AM. All right, welcome back. And uh, we are anxiously awaiting the arrival of Mad Max. Max Bernier, the Honorable Max Bernier, leader of the People's Party of Canada. This will be our first chance to chat, obviously, since the election. And uh, I guess the question, my first question will be, they tripled their popular vote. Over 800,000 uh, votes cast for the People's Party. That's quite an improvement, I would say. But is would he see that as... Are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African-Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and over-policing? President Biden's administration is making major decisions, and we need your voice to be heard. The proposed ban on menthol cigarettes is in its final stages of approval, and black and brown law enforcement executives have said it could have dire unintended consequences for African-Americans. The clock is ticking. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414 and ask him to stop this proposed menthol rule. The ban on menthol could lead to an illicit market and increased crime in our communities. Call President Biden and demand that he halt the ban on menthol until there's a review of the investigative findings. Let's make sure that over-policing and racial profiling come to an end. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414. Tell him to stop targeting African-Americans with a menthol ban. Time is running out. This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy. A success or a disappointment? And also, of course... Max uh, was unable to unseat the incumbent conservative MP in his home riding of Beauce, Quebec. So would he consider perhaps next time? And I mean, an, another election could be, who knows, 18 months away, maybe longer, but maybe 18 months away. And Max certainly has a huge following out West. Would he consider running in a, in a Western riding? And uh, the other question that pops to mind is we were promised electoral reform by uh, the crime minister back in 2015. That was uh, that was something he campaigned on. That didn't last long. I think within two weeks of taking office, he pretty much abandoned that promise. And I, I'm not sure exactly what he had in mind by electoral reform. A lot of people like the idea of proportional representation. What we have now, of course, is first past the post. And in a multi-party system, you could have the person who is elected in any given riding could be elected with a, with a minority. Let's say you've got four parties, four candidates running in a riding. And uh, the winner could end up winning 32, 31% of the vote. 
And so this idea of, and that's what we have actually with a, uh, a minority government. We have the liberals now with less than one third of the popular vote. Actually, when you think about it, since only 58 percent of um, eligible voters voted, 58 percent. So what's 32 percent of 58? It's like 18 percent. I mean, that's atrocious. So proportional representation would mean based on your overall popular vote. That's how many seats in parliament you would be assigned. So what do we have, uh, Jacob? Is it 338 seats in the House? I think something like that. 338. And the uh, People's Party party received about 5%, I think. Might be a little a little bit over 5%. So what's 5% of 338? I think it's like around 17 or 18 seats. So under a proportional representation, the, uh, the People's Party could have 18 seats. So we'll ask Max how he feels about that. And uh, the other thing that we'll ask Max about, his um, executive director, is it Matt Martins? Brandon, you deal with uh, Max's people all the time. I think it's Max Martins. Mart, uh, sorry, Martin Mass. My apologies. Martin Mass. He said something in the media recently about the People's Party wanting to form some sort of informal alliance with New Blue here in Ontario, maybe the Maverick Party out West, maybe the Wild Rose Party out West. These are all, you know, populist upstart parties, populist movements. Obviously, you know, right of center, more conservative. So that would, be, that would be interesting. So next year, if we have a provincial election here in Ontario, will Mad Max and the People's Party get behind Jim and Belinda Carey-Halios of New Blue to fight and bring down the radical left-wing progressive government of Doug Ford? We're still awaiting the arrival of uh, Max Bernier. Brandon's working the phones. And uh, hopefully when we come back, we'll have him. Hopefully. (laughs) My conversation with uh, Mad Max in two minutes. Stay with us. Just having a little chinwag on the Richard Serrett Show. News Talk. Saga, 960 AM. leader of the People's Party of Canada. Hey, Max, how are you? Fine, and you? Thank you very much. Very well. So our first chance to chat since the election. Let me ask you, so uh, your party tripled your popular support, I think uh, about 5%, nearly, uh, well, over 800,000 votes cast for the People's Party. So you're knocking on uh, a million uh, the door there. Uh, but still no seats. So do you see the results as a, as a success or a disappointment? No, it's a success. You know, like you just said, from 1.6% to 5%, it's more than triple our score at the last election, 2019. And we had about 850,000 votes. Yes, it's a little bit disappointing that we didn't have a seat, but now we'll build from there. And I can tell you that next time we'll be stronger Uh, We uh, have money in the bank and this party is growing 
and we have more and more support. So uh, I will have another two years to travel across the country and to speak about what we believe and build the party to be ready for the next election. If, if Canada had a proportional representation system, my, by my calculation, um, the People's Party would have about 17, maybe 18 seats in Parliament. What are your views on proportional representation? Yes, you're right that, you know, uh, it would have been easier for us to have people elected for this election. And I believe that uh, this system is not the best one. Uh, we have a good system. But, you know, I'll be happy to have a discussion about a, pro- a real proportional system. And I know that Trudeau spoke about it at the end of the campaign. We'll see what will happen. But for us, a new system or not, you can count on the PPC to be there. And I'm pretty sure that next time we'll have people elected in parliament. Do you have a policy on electoral reform? No, no, we don't. We will look at it, uh, uh, but uh, we don't have a policy on that. But uh, yes, I believe that it will be at our advantage to have a system like that. So you were, not, you were unable to unseat the conservative incumbent in your home riding of Bose. Um, you're, you're tremendously popular out West. I know it's, it's just after the election. Um, we could be looking at another one, who knows, in 18 months. Have you or would you consider perhaps running in, in, in another riding, maybe Alberta, Saskatchewan? Yes, absolutely. Like I did after the last election. After the last election, uh, I look at some uh, ridings all across the country. And, uh, you know, uh, we decided that uh, my best chance to win was to go back in both. So I'll do the same uh, exercise uh, before the next election. And if uh, I have another riding, I don't know, in another province, uh, you know, my goal as the leader of the party is to be elected. And uh, yes, I, I will. Uh, I would be open to that. Your critics uh, are saying, you know, where is the party constitution? Uh, would 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 you be open to a leadership review? How do you respond to the critics? Yes, I'm saying yes. A leadership review, absolutely. Uh, I can tell you that it's something that will happen. We will ask our memberships. Uh, to uh, to uh, review my leadership if they want. Uh, actually, that would be a consultation, uh, and I hope I'll be able to do that consultation in October. All right. Uh, we're going to head into a break here shortly. Let me, just, let me ask you this as we roll into a break, and then we'll, we'll discuss further after. Well, uh, you, you were crisscrossing the country. I don't know how many miles you logged. Um, I know you're a marathon runner, but w- what, did you, what do you do after the election to just kind of relax and, and uh, kind of you know, reset, recharge your batteries? Yes, absolutely. I did that. <clears throat> I relaxed in Montreal with my wife. But also I was on the phone just to uh, return, my, return my calls and, uh, and being ready to be back on the road. That would be my goal. But what I'm not so happy with is uh, Trudeau said that he wants to impose a vaccine passport for Canadian travelers. And, you know, I, that would be the only way for me to travel across the country. Uh, I will fight against that policy. It is unconstitutional, illegal, uh, unjust, and I need to be able to travel across the country. All right. We'll uh, come back and uh, discuss further with Max Bernier, leader of the People's Party of Canada, in two minutes. Let's rejoin the conversation on The Richard Serrett Show on Newstalk Saga 960 AM. Maxime Bernier stays with us, leader of the People's Party of Canada. Max, you uh, mentioned you want to continue to travel the country and speak out against uh, 
uh, COVID restrictions and so forth. But it looks like now we're going to get a uh, well restrictions on our mobility rights. You won't be able to travel inside the country interprovincially on a train or a plane without a vaccine passport. Uh, but how will you fight back? You know, not having a presence in parliament. How do you plan on 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 fighting back against these uh, these restrictions? Yeah, no, I'll do my best to fight back, actually. And if that happened, uh, I'll be in Ottawa. We will protest. Uh, you know, it's my right as a politician to be able to travel across the country. Um, and uh, I, I don't know. I will have to have a discussion with my team, but we'll do everything that we can do to be sure that these restrictions won't be enforced you know, for, for Canadians, because like you said, it is unconstitutional and we need to fight against that. Uh, you know, I'll be able to travel by car, but uh, I won't go to BC by car. I don't have time to do that. So we'll see what will happen. And uh, I can tell you that we'll use all the, the tools that we can use to fight that. And I'll be very active on social media uh, against that. Uh, your executive director, Mark Mass, mentioned in the media uh, last week, I think it was, that the People's Party uh, is interested in having an informal alliance, let's call it, with some of these, uh, you know, these other parties, provincial parties, uh, the new blue party here in Ontario. Your thoughts on uh, forging an informal alliance with new blue here in Ontario? Well, we, we had already uh, some informal informal alliance with uh, provincial parties like in Alberta, the Wild Rose Independence Party, uh, in New Brunswick, the uh, Alliance People Alliance, and yes, the the, the True Blue uh, here in um, in Ontario. But we don't want anything structural. You know, it's our members that will decide, and we are doing politics at the federal level. So we won't spend energy to do politics at the provincial one. But I understand that uh, our people, uh, you know, on the ground uh, in every uh, every province, uh, they they have to vote at the provincial level, and they they must support, and they they are supporting some provincial party. So that's why I'm telling you it's an uh, it's, uh, uh, informal alliance with, uh, with these uh, political parties. Well, what form would that informal alliance, what form would it take? So, for example, here in Ontario, we have an election uh, next June, I believe. Um, would you encourage your supporters to get behind New Blue here in Ontario to unseat uh, the, the PC party here, which is not very conservative? Yeah, I don't know. Uh, actually, I don't want to give my people what, to tell them what to do at the provincial level. I said that I always that I respect the Constitution. That must be their choice. But what I realized, I, I was, you know, uh, on the ground and traveling across the country during this campaign. And I know that we have people that are working for provincial uh, political parties that are supporting us. That would be their personal choice. Um, we don't have time to build an organization or but I understand that, uh, you know, some people are supporting us and they want us to um, support them also. But we didn't have any formal, um, uh, concrete, uh, uh, you know, relationship with, with them. It's, it's it's with individual. It's not it's not speaking uh, organization to organization. It's uh, every individual uh, have to do what they want to do at the provincial level. All right. But when you look at uh, the new blue party, uh, I don't know to what extent you've looked at their platform or their at least their uh, what they what they stand for. Is, is this a party you think you can work with? 
Well, I, I believe so. I didn't have time to read their platform, but I know that, uh, you know, they're anti-lockdowns uh, and anti-vaccine uh, passport, uh, <clears throat> but I didn't have time to read their platform. Uh, but uh, <clears throat> we'll see. Uh, I'll let my people decide in Ontario. You know, I won't impose anything uh, to them. All right. It was recently revealed, Max, that uh, leaders in the Canadian military had hatched this scheme to do some kind of a, a propaganda experiment on Canadians that they had used previously in, in places like Afghanistan. They saw COVID as a as a as an opportunity to do that. What are your thoughts on our own military using, I guess, brainwashing techniques? Let's call it what it is against Canadians during a pandemic. Yeah, that, that's disgusting. Uh, they must be there to protect Canadians and not to try to impose their vision of the society. And I was very upset when I've read that. And actually, they were saying that they did that without the consent of the federal government. I don't believe that. I don't believe that. All that propaganda and that fear coming from the government with their ad and their press conference every day saying that that virus is the end of the world. And now we know with the data that, you know, if you are under 30 years old, uh, you have more chances of dying from the seasonal flu than COVID-19. And using the military to impose uh, that propaganda, uh, it's disgusting. And you don't do that in a democracy. You do that in a, in a, in a communist country uh, under a dictatorship. Uh, you know, uh, I, I'm, I'm not very proud of our uh, Canadian forces. Yeah, we should differentiate. It was, you know, the the leadership at the top, not necessarily the rank and file, obviously, that, that participated in that. Uh, when you see images coming out of Australia and, and, and the way their police are really brutalizing uh, people and, and arresting people because they're too far away from their own house or they're walking a dog with them. Are you are you concerned that Australia may only be a few steps ahead of us here in Canada? We could see what's happening in Australia. Oh, absolutely. Uh, absolutely. I'm looking at what is happening there. And now, you know, uh, it can be worse. Uh, in, in Alberta, they are imposing the vaccine passport. In Ontario, in Quebec, in BC, uh, it will be all over uh, the country. And after that, what would be the next step? Uh, I really don't know. But, um, uh, you know, I don't trust the government. And I don't trust the opposition also in Canada. You don't have, uh, you know, the Conservative Party of Canada is not a real opposition. They may be the official opposition, but the People's Party of Canada is the real opposition. We are, like I said in my speech, we are the only party against all these draconian and authoritarian measures that they are imposing on us. And yes, when I'm looking at what is happening over there, uh, I, I scare it can come here uh, as fast as uh, in a couple of months. Last question, Max, and then I'll let you go. It, it's to me anyway, it seems like there may be a slight change in the mainstream media's uh, perception or treatment of the People's Party. For example, we saw a headline in the uh, in the National Post that, you know, the People's Party is here to stay. Uh, I believe it was Lori Goldstein with The Sun saying, you know, I think the mainstream media made a, a mistake by not taking the People's Party seriously enough. What is your perception about the way that the, the mainstream media now looks at the People's Party? Do you see any change? Well, first of all, during the campaign, they ignore us. And uh, at the end of the campaign, they, had, you know, they, they were in the position to cover us because we were at 8% in the polls or something like that. So they just did it in the end. 
But I believe that now that we had more votes than the Green Party, uh, around 2%, yes, they have two members of parliament, but, uh, you know, this party is growing. I believe that, I hope so, maybe I'm too optimistic, I hope so that I will have a more neutral coverage. But I must admit, with the traditional mainstream media, the local one, uh, I had a very fair coverage during the election when I was traveling, local uh, traditional media. But the, the mainstream national media uh, were not uh, giving us our fair share of coverage. Uh, I believe and I hope in the future it will be better. But I don't count on that. Uh, I will uh, campaign and use social media. And actually, I did an interview with Jordan Peterson. Uh, a week ago before the election, and we had that discussion about the mainstream media. And he said, Maxime, forget it. You know, uh, you know, they're losing their viewers and the, the future is uh, social media. Be active there. And I think he's right about it. I need to be uh, more active on social media. I'll do more small videos. And I believe that we'll be able to um, increase our, uh, our visibility with that also. All right, Maxime, thank you so much for your time as always. Appreciate it. We'll talk again. Thank you. Have a nice day. Bye-bye. Maxime Bernier. All right, that's it for me. My thanks to Jody, Jacob, Brandon. I'll be back tomorrow, God willing, to do it all over again with the irascible but lovable Lou. We'll push back against radical gender ideology. The accidental and unofficial COVID data analyst Kelly Brown will be here. David Menzies from Rebel News will be here to uh, tell us about the Great Highway 427 North Extension boondoggle and much, much more. The Brian Crombie Hour is next. I'll speak with you tomorrow at four. Don't be late. Until then, I remain unbowed, unbent, unbroken. That's it. That's all. For more Richard Serrett Show, podcasts, blogs, and other stuff, go to saga960am.ca. Stop talking past each other and start talking with each other. We'll see you tomorrow afternoon at 4 on The Richard Serrett Show on News Talk, Saga 960am. Are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African-Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and over-policing? President Biden's administration is making major decisions, and we need your voice to be heard. The proposed ban on menthol cigarettes is in its final stages of approval, and black and brown law enforcement executives have said it could have dire unintended consequences for African-Americans. The clock is ticking. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414 and ask him to stop this proposed menthol rule. The ban on menthol could lead to an illicit market and increased crime in our communities. Call President Biden and demand that he halt the ban on menthol until there's a review of the investigative findings. Let's make sure that over-policing and racial profiling come to an end. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414. Tell him to stop targeting African-Americans with a menthol ban. Time is running out. This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy.